Hey. Good to see you. Actually, I'm very thankful for that. I needed some water. So, um, whoo, what a day. So glad to have you. If you're new, visiting with us, um, my name's Brian Ziski, the lead pastor here at Austin Oaks Church. Our heartbeat is to be simply all about Jesus. That's why we do what we do, and we strive to help people to meet, know, and follow him. We are in this series called Be the Movement. And Be the Movement, if I were to put it in kind of like a one-phrase idea, it's about building a culture of disciple-making, because that is the call to follow Jesus. And so as I was thinking about that in the last few weeks and months, the Lord has been doing something in my heart. And it's like it started to really get clear some of the things that he was convicting me of personally as a follower of Jesus, as a pastor, as a husband, and as a father. And all of a sudden it just kind of dawned on me. I was like, you know what? I'm going to hop back out of Luke and I, I need to teach this passage that's been on my heart. And so I want to encourage you, turn with me to 2 Timothy um, we're going to be in 2 Timothy kind of jumping around a little bit. But I want to say this. If you are not a follower of Jesus yet, and if you are on a journey, and if you're asking questions, this is a great Sunday for you, okay? You can relax, take a back seat, and I want you to listen in because I'm speaking specifically to those who would say they follow Jesus. This is an opportunity for you to eavesdrop on a conversation that is very family-driven. In this message, you will hear the heart of God. You'll hear the importance of the love of God and how that spills over and pours over into how we love other people. And that we as a church have not always done the best job of looking like Jesus. And so this is a great Sunday for you just to listen in. And so I want to encourage you to do that. So let's stand together, okay? I'm going to read 2 Timothy Chapter 2, and we're going to be specifically in verses 1 through 10. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have this first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound, so therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may attain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Father, I thank you for your word. It is surely without a doubt alive and active. You bring grace to encourage our hearts, to console our hearts, and you bring truth to convict us. Because just like a good father, you're not okay with us not being good. You want the best for us. Your love shows up in the form of discipline often. Lord, I ask that this morning as we realize that your word is like a sword, that not only does it heal hearts, but it also convicts of sin. It cuts out the areas that aren't good in our lives. Lord, help us this morning to see that as love. Lord, I pray that this morning you would do something significant in the heart of this church. Lord, I pray that each one of us 
would not walk out of here unmoved. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak specifically to each one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a seat. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, all of that without social media. Chapter 4. <laughs> for the time is coming. Chapter 4, 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth. And they will wander off into myths. As for you reading on, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your, the work of ministry. The Atacama Desert is one of the driest places on the face of this earth. It is a formidable place. The average rainfall per year is one millimeter, if that. Scientists have suggested, I don't know how they have, it's kind of like that saying like 78% of all statistics is made up. Like they said that like roughly from 1570 to 1970, it has never rained there. And its geographic location between the Andes Mountains and the Chilean coastal, it becomes this like barrier of moisture where no moisture can ever get in there. So the land, the desert is a death zone for vegetation. Nothing can thrive there. Nothing, because it doesn't have the right nutrients, it doesn't have the light, right amount of water, it doesn't have any of it. When I look and think of the Atacama Desert, my brain immediately starts to go, is this our culture today? Is this a great picture of our world? Devoid, formidable, doesn't seem like anything can thrive there. Not a lot of refreshing there. I mean, friends, like if we were to look at our society, we are quick, we can quickly realize that our society is becoming increasingly fearful, increasingly defensive, and aggressive. Ever-increasing contempt at every corner surrounding every political issue, contempt for other people, instead of showing honor. Institutions that are shaping our culture, they're teaching us, especially our youth, to villainize everybody at every turn. We see hatred being promoted instead of love. Fear instead of hospitality where we no longer move towards other people not like us. Privilege instead of sacrifice. And deep in our hearts, right? Like deep in our hearts, we feel sick about what we're seeing. It troubles us. The hostility and the dishonor, the conflicting ideologies to the degree that we're afraid to even engage in it. Like, we feel confused and overwhelmed by a morality that seems to keep on getting grayer and grayer and murkier and murkier. And friends, it's not only Christians that are feeling this. There are people outside the church that are also feeling this sense and asking the question, is there a better way? There's this growing collective fatigue within our culture as we feel that we can't stop this downward trajectory that's happening. And I'd be lying to you 
if I would say to you that I never worry about my kids, that I never go, what's the future going to look like for them? What are they going to inherit? What are they going to learn in school? I'd be lying to you if my wife and I never talk about that. Where we entertain the thought, man, maybe we should have never had kids. It would have been so much better way back then. I'd be lying to you if I didn't feel a sense of hopelessness for the future. Is there anything that I can do? Is there anything that we can do as parents? Is there anything that we can do as a church? But friends, listen, it's not just what's out there in the culture and the society that should be of concern to us. We already know the trajectory of culture based upon Scripture. What should really be the concern for us within the church is are we reflecting and representing the beauty of Jesus and his kingdom in the midst of what's going on out there? When the world is looking into the church and our younger generations are looking at us as a church, do they see the face of Jesus or do they see a church that's been conformed to the ways of this world? We have sadly seen politics become a higher identity marker than our faith and identity in Jesus within the church. We have allowed the cultural values around us to form how we live, which then actually allows these cultural norms to influence what we believe. And I felt this firsthand as a pastor, especially the last year and a half. I've talked to other friends and other pastors in the city and around the, the states, and we've all experienced this at some level. I have seen people in the church here and other churches around leave the church over us, not just us, but all churches all over, from being overly too conservative and at the same time being too liberal. How do we engage this? And they leave churches based upon a political ideology instead of a collective belief in Jesus. I've seen people in the church lose friends who are believers over these issues. I've seen people in the church, I've prayed with people in the church, counseled people in the church who don't talk to family members who love Jesus over cultural issues. And I'm asking the question, how can this be? We have to wrestle with this. Friends, contempt instead of honor, is in the church. The subversive line of hatred instead of love is in the church. We're afraid of hospitality because we don't want people to think certain things or move to other people who aren't like us. Love of enemy and love of neighbor, which used to be the hallmark of the early church, is like something we just talk about. And as a result of this, my friends, our vision of God has been lowered and God's power is scarce in the church and his love seems to be all but a rumor. Could it be that in the church today we're more conformed to the ways of the world than we are to the likeness of Jesus? What do people see when they look into the church? I stumbled across this picture of the Atacama Desert with some kids playing in it and my heart grieved because something in that moment made me go, I wonder if our younger generations are seeing the church this way. How is this any different than the world? 
How is the church a better option? How is the gospel any better than any, any other ideology out there? The gospel is the power of God. Where is the power of God? Friends, I hope you ask the question, have you ever felt that in church? There's got to be more. There's got to be more than just having this appearance of godliness and doing our church thing and just saying I'm a Christian. There's got to be more than trying to get the gospel to become relevant to my life. We got to start asking the question, is my life relevant to the gospel? We got to stop making these really sophisticated and elaborate excuses or rationalizations for our disobedience to Jesus. I'm meddling this morning, my friends. But this is serious for us to wrestle with because instead of feeling hopeless and despair as we look at the world around us, we need to come back and look at our children and look at our own lives and the lives above us and go, for such a time as this, God has called us to thrive here. God has called us to be salt and light here. He's not surprised about what's happening out there. That's why I love this letter of 2 Timothy. Here's the simple point I want to drive home. The way we live reveals what we believe. And the rest is just talk. The way we live reveals what we really believe. And the rest is just talk. The fruit will never lie. You will reap what you sow. What is on display? That's what we got to wrestle with. Friends, this is discipleship. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And so when Paul wrote this letter to 2 Timothy, Timothy was a young pastor, a young shepherd, overseeing a bunch of churches in Ephesus, a city that is not too much unlike Austin in a lot of ways. And he, was no, he knew that this was going to be his last letter he ever wrote. He was chained up in a wall in a prison cell facing his death and execution. He knew that. He even said in his letter, he's like, I ran the race. I finished it. Where other letters, Paul would say, I still got a race to go. Here he says, I know it's done. And so we see this glimpse into the heart of Paul going, I want you, Timothy, to understand what matters. I need you, Timothy, to be encouraged in this gospel, but also to understand that there's a type of person that God is looking for even when the culture around you is going down. Even when the culture around you is starting to influence the church, Timothy, I need you to hold on, to guard a good deposit, to be a person whom God is looking for. This is a message for the church today. The, the culture in Ephesus, friends, it wasn't an easy culture to be a Christian in. It, it would have been a horrible culture to try to plant a church. In fact, when they did, we got the story in Acts 19. They drug Paul into this arena and tried to kill him as they were all shouting out, you know, Artemis, you know, the God of the Ephesians. It's a hyper pluralistic culture full of magic and the occult, full of tolerism and moral depravity all over the place. Like they would like, they would like celebrate child soliciting. Like they would celebrate sexual immorality at every level because it was part of their worship. They were fine with, hey, you do you. As long as you don't tell me how to change, we're good. And if you were to say that you have an absolute truth, we will pressure you, we will silence you, we will cancel you, and we will finally kill you if you do not comply. 
It wasn't a Christian culture. It wasn't a post-Christian culture. It was a straight-up anti-Christian culture, a lot like today. And it was in that setting, in that culture, Paul told Timothy, Timothy, listen, in the last days, they thought they were in the last days. I know you all thought we were in the last days too. We could be, I don't know. But what we do know in the last days will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, etc., etc., etc. In that culture, Timothy, hold fast. Be trustworthy. Be the type of person that God is looking for, Timothy. And if we understood the Ephesian culture, we would go, this is impossible. How did that church thrive? We know it thrived because we're here today as a result of their obedience to Jesus. They saw Jesus worth giving it all for, living it all for, saying yes to him and saying no to the things of this world. It was worth it to them. They had models. They looked at Paul and saw what he did. And they saw these things were like, okay, this is it. This is the greatest thing in the world. Even though they don't get it, and even though I'm going to be suffering for it, and even persecuted and killed for it, it's worth it. They cared about building the kingdom in the present, but they also understood that their obedience today would build and set the tone for future generations. So let's talk about the kind of person that God is looking for. Because we need to hear this. What kind of person is God looking for? I know that sounds odd. But if we understood the invitation to follow Jesus through the words of Jesus, we would understand that statement. I think we've watered down discipleship so bad What did Jesus say to those who wanted to follow him? If you want to follow me, you, someone, take up your cross, deny yourself. Like, if, if, you, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to carry a cross. Jesus would even teach, like, if you put your hands on a plow, and you look back, you ain't fit. Yeah, but Rabbi, look at I've done all the laws. I've been a perfect, obedient Jewish boy. I've done it all. I'm good. I should have eternal life, right? And Jesus is like, yeah, you're so close. There's idols in your heart. You've got to get rid of them. He walked away sad, didn't do it. Jesus would even say, if you don't count the cost, it's going to be hard to follow me. Count the cost. Consider the cost. Think about what it means to follow me. This is so important. There's a type of person that God is looking for, which tells us that the way we live reveals what we believe about Jesus and about the gospel and the kingdom of God. So Paul does something beautiful. He's going to remind Timothy of the treasure that he has in Jesus, and then he's going to challenge him to look like these types of people but we can't forget the treasure that God has given us because otherwise we will see these metaphors and feel overwhelmed and burdened by them and be like, I can't do that. Of course you can't unless you understand his grace. So this is where we got to start and pick this up. 2 Timothy 1, verse 8. Do not be ashamed 
of the testimony about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me, of his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us. He's like reminding us, like, remember Jesus. Remember the gospel. He saved us and called us to a holy calling to be set apart. We have a completely different aim in life. We're not like the world. We're so different, and it's not because of us, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and his grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began which has now been manifested through the appearing of Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life, immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed an apostle, a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. And that's why I suffer as I do. And Timothy, listen, even though I'm chained to this dungeon wall and I'm going to be executed, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the end of my life, for I know whom I believed, and I'm convinced he's able to guard it until that day which has been entrusted to me. Pay attention to that word, entrusted. Verse 13. This is where I want you to listen up. Follow the pattern of the sound words, Timothy. The Greek phrase there is hold on to. We have to hold on to. This pattern of faith, this way of living, hold on to the gospel that other people have modeled for us. Where we've seen other people go before us. And he's saying to Timothy, he's like, look at me. But if we understood, and we read early on in chapter 1, he's like, look to your grandmother who obviously was praying for you and reading the Torah to you and talking about Jesus to you. And you probably even seen her talk about Jesus to other people. That faith that you've seen in her and your mother, grandparents, parents, listen how important it is to model faith to your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. They're watching you. Follow this pattern of sound teaching the words. This is the faith and love that's rooted in Jesus. Hold on to it for all your life, Timothy. Guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. Friends, hear that. When you say yes to Jesus and he radically changes you through the gospel, he has now entrusted you with that message. Are you trustworthy with the gospel? Guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. That's our responsibility. When I hear the word and the phrase, the good deposit, I immediately think of safety deposit boxes, and then I immediately think of like James Bond and Mission Impossible uh, breaking into bank vaults, and somehow there's like this secret little thing in this one safe deposit. Am I just, okay. <laughs> and I started thinking about that. I was like, what do we use safety, safe deposit boxes for? You, you put things of priceless value to you in there. Because to you in your mind, that is the safest place to keep it, behind this lockbox in a massive vault. Paul is saying, Jesus has deposited the message that builds up and tears down kingdoms, that brings people to life, that heals people, frees people from sin. He's deposited that in you. You guard it. You guard that good deposit. It's been entrusted to you, Timothy. He's reminding him of this beautiful treasure we have. Have we forgotten how priceless this message is? 
Jesus would teach in Matthew 13. The kingdom of God is like this treasure that's in this field. I hope I'm not butchering this. And some guy knew the treasure was there. He sold all that he had to buy that field because there's a treasure there. The kingdom of God is like this pearl of enormous value that he went away and sold all that he had just to get that pearl. That's the picture of what's been deposited in you. Timothy, hold on to this. It is worth everything. I'm chained to a wall and I'm suffering. Don't be ashamed of it. I know him. He's entrusted it to me and I'm not ashamed. Timothy, hold on to the words that I passed on to you. Hold on to the words that your grandmother passed on to you. Hold on to the words that your mother has passed on to you for this is the life and love in Jesus. Guard it with everything you got, Timothy. Because that culture around you is going down and it's going to come hard at you. It's going to pressure you. It's going to be against you at every turn. And don't be surprised. Guard it. Timothy, not only that, chapter 2, verse 1. You've got to be strengthened in the grace. You then, my child. Oh, I love those words. My child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's the only way you're going to be able to stand strong in this culture. You're not going to be able to do it by your own gumption, by your own grit, by your own bootstraps. You need to stand strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And you can only be strong in the grace if you're strong in the truth. Because Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. Has this formed our hearts and our minds? The gospel, the grace, how God has loved us. How we were an enemy and he pursued us and saved us and loved us. It's that grace that we need to be reminded of so that when our en enemies start to chirp, we don't come into a truth war and fight contempt with contempt. We show love. You've got to be strong in the grace. Are you trustworthy with the gospel? Are you strong in grace? So what does this life look like? So glad you asked. We have three metaphors that he's given us. Timothy, verse 3, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. This is how this person lives. They're like a soldier. I've never been in the military. I have friends who are and were in the military, family who have been and were in the military. And let me tell you, I am glad I'm not in the military. I don't have the discipline. If I were told to get up, shout it at at five in the morning, get out of my rucksack and go run, I'd be like, <laughs> and he's like, get out. Be like a soldier. Think of a soldier, when they sign up, when they get enlisted into the Army, the Navy, Air Force, or whatever it is, do they not immediately lose rights in some level? Do they not immediately like deny self for the greater cause, for the greater good? That sounds like Jesus, oddly enough. Be like the soldier. You have a single aim, it's to please your CO. Our aim is to please Jesus. 
not the world, not other people, but Jesus. And so we have a single focus, devotion, and determination, and gumption to do what pleases him. A soldier does what a soldier does so that the civilian can do what civilians do. A soldier is to not get entangled in the affairs of this world. We don't avoid them because we have these natural affairs and pursuits in this life, but the key word is entangled. A soldier has a single focus, devotion, or hearted determination to please the CEO, and they do not get entangled. Friends, listen. When you look at your faith, when you look at following Jesus, is it secondary? Are you trying to serve God and money, God and status, God and relationships? You can't do it. That's being entangled in the affairs of this life. Do you care more about riches and wealth and all the things? Are you being like overly concerned to the point of worry and anxiety about inflation and everything else that's there? That's being wrapped up and entangled in the civilian pursuits. Jesus taught this in Matthew 6. Do not worry, disciple, about what you will wear, what you will eat, for God knows don't worry about it. Don't pursue it. Don't be caught up in this ambition about it. Pagans do that. The world does that, but not you. You seek first the kingdom of God. Be a soldier. I got to ask the question, does your life look like a soldier or does it look like a civilian? Verse 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And what's fascinating here is in the cultural context, when we think about the Greco-Roman Olympics way back then, Zeus has these laws and rules in order to compete in these Olympic games. And if you were to win, you had to make sure you competed and trained according to the rules. There was a 10-month training regimen that you had to follow to the law. And if you were to deviate from a little bit and someone found out, you could get killed. So if you were crowned against the rules, disqualification. This speaks of training. This speaks of discipline. This speaks about saying no to the things that I want to do and doing the very things I don't want to do. I hate working out. I hate it. I hate dieting. I remember when I was a baseball player, I was a pitcher. Baseball players are like lazy, right? We, we, like, why do we got to practice? Right? I throw a ball, someone catches it. Game, right? But it's like, I remember as a pitcher and I got to college and my coach was like, you got to run poles. It was like from the foul pole to the foul pole. I'm like, okay, I'll run it once. They're like, no, you got to do it like 50 times. I'm like, I pitch. I don't run. No one cares about my running. But they're like, how you practice is how you play. I'm like, that's rubbish. <laughs> I'm a great example. <laughs> but thinking about an Olympian, the training, the discipline, the hours that it goes into, Paul would say, hey, be ready in season and out of season. You can't be ready out of season unless you're training. We compete. We live in something greater than any Olympic game, than any sports thing, anything in this world. We are competing and living in the kingdom of God, rescuing people from the snares of the devil. What we do matters. Spiritual disciplines matter. Friends, reading your Bible matters. Praying matters 
matters. Coming to prayer and worship nights matter. Being in a small group matters. It's spiritual disciplines. Like I know, sadly, that majority of people in the church spend more time being formed by news cycles than they do by the Word of God. Soldier, athlete, we got to ask the question, am I an athlete or am I a spectator? Am I in the game, training to be ready, or am I okay just watching? Because what if, like, you're on the bench because, like, as we all follow Jesus, we're all in the game. The coach says, you're in. And you're like, oh, no. Last metaphor. You're either the farmer or a consumer. Verse 6. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. One of my good buddies from Minnesota, he's a corn farmer. I think that's what you, how you call it. I don't know. He farms corn, corn farms. I did not envy him, not even for one second. I did envy his tractor, though. Those things are amazing. Get up at 2, 3 in the morning, by yourself in the dark, in a tractor, plowing the ground, tilling the soil. Is it going to freeze? Not going to freeze? Did it thaw? Did it not thaw? Like, is it the right time? Is it not the right time? Always checking the chemicals, all these kind of stuff. And then you plant a seed. I mean, this is like hard, slow, painstaking work, which feels so unrewarding in the moment because it's like the thing that troubles me the most about being a farmer is not the idea of like the hard work. It's the idea of like planting the seed, covering it up, and then going, now what? And going, I have no control now. Like, he, he, his livelihood is now based upon external conditions. He can't make that thing grow. He can't control the weather. He can't control the rain. If it freezes or snows or if there's pests or anything else, there's like this long-suffering, patient endurance that trusting that it'll happen is just like us with our faith. How many of us get so frustrated when we confess something and we're like, God, would you change this? And then in a week, it's still there. You're like, God, I prayed. I thought it'd be over. Spiritual formation takes time. It takes time to these things for to de- develop. Character takes time. God is sovereign. His word won't return void. His word is enchained. He knows what he's doing. Do not grow weary in doing good. But friends, we've lost this connection in our culture. We've lost this connection with food. We prefer something fast and quick. I don't want to wait. Get it right here. And that's come into the church. And so we grow disillusioned with our faith because I'm like, hey, I prayed. Why didn't it happen? God must not be real. Hey, I'm suffering. I asked God to change. It didn't happen. Hey, I'm praying for my loved ones who don't know you. Nothing happened. God, it's just like, it's the farmer. Paul would even say, it's like, listen, what we do is we, we plant seeds, we create the environment, but God causes the growth. This is the angst of discipleship. Relationships are messy and long-suffering. And they're like, I don't want to endure this person. Why aren't they getting it already? How do you think Jesus is with you? <laughs> Soldier, civilian, athlete, spectator, farmer, 
or consumer. God's looking for a certain type of people, and this is what they look like. We've got to hold fast. We've got to guard the good deposit. Because culture is dry, it's barren. Satan has captivated and ensnared and trapped everybody who doesn't believe in Jesus. We are called apart, the salt and light to follow Jesus, to live as a soldier, to train as an athlete, and to be long-suffering as the farmer. We can't look like the latter. Because if we do, my friends, the outside world will look in the church and this is what they're going to see. Wow, you look just like the world. So what do we do? The first thing is, you've got to remember the gospel. You've got to remember the treasure that we have in Jesus and guard it. You've got to guard it. Get in the word. Spend time in prayer. You have to. No one's going to do that for you. Remember that. Allow the Holy Spirit to form you and to renew your mind and renew your heart. And the second thing we got to do is we got to become useful. Paul talks about becoming a useful vessel in chapter 2, verse 20 through 26. Confess the sin. Confess the civilian pursuits and affairs that have entangled you and slowed you down. The weeds that have come up and choked out what God is trying to do in your life. Remove those. Make yourself useful. God's grace. That's being strong in the grace. Become useful. And the last thing we have to do is to stay useful. And how we stay useful is by following Jesus together as a community that's committed together. Hebrews is clear. Let us not give up the habit of meeting with one another, as some are in the habit of doing. And all the more as we see the day approaching. You can't be the soldier by yourself. You can't be the athlete by yourself. You can't be the farmer by yourself. You're not strong enough. We need each other. Iron sharpens iron. We need to be in that community together. We need to speak truth and grace with each other. We need to extend love and hospitality to each other. When was the last time we in this room kind of walked across the room and met somebody that you've never met before? How about people out in the community that aren't like you? Like we've lost the art of hospitality. Like what if we moved towards that? And so I'm going to give you one practical application. One of the things that we're doing here at Austin Oaks Church in this year of disciple making as we build this culture of disciple making is we are reinvigorating and renewing the concept of membership here at Austin Oaks Church. Membership is a discipleship tool for people who are wanting to go, yes, I want to be committed to community. I need this community for us to live this way, to be faithful to Jesus, but also we want to see a future generation to live in a culture within a church where the kingdom of God is thriving. I want to encourage you to consider becoming a member at Austin Oaks Church. And some of you might be like, I've been there, done that, I'm already a member. Listen, I want to encourage you to re-up that. 
not that we're doing anything new, is that discipleship and this community that's committed to each other takes accountability and transparency and always coming back together to be on point. We need each other. We need to see examples and we need to be pouring it down into each other's lives. What we choose today, what we choose to do tomorrow, has significant impact in this life. Don't downplay it. What you do today and what you do tomorrow not only affects the present, but it also affects the future. Don't downplay that. Instead of seeing and thinking that our youth and younger generations are seeing church this way, I stumbled upon an interesting fact about the Atacama Desert that seemed to be rather prophetic to me. As we look at this desert, this barren wasteland, underneath the sand and the soil are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of wildflower seeds that are just sitting there dormant. They're just waiting for rain. They're just waiting for something powerful to activate that life. And that became a prophetic picture. And as I was reading about it, I stumbled upon this picture of two kids playing in what they call a super bloom. This is what happens when rain hits the Atacama Desert. I'm here for the super bloom. I hope you are too. I fear what Paul writes in chapter 3, not only about all the decaying morality, but the indictment on the church that there's a form of godliness that denies his power. Instead of the desert, let's say yes to Jesus. Let's be the soldier. Let's be the athlete. Let's be the farmer so that now and later future generations can be <coughs> where the kingdom of God is made manifest, where it's made known and tangible. I'm here for that. I hope you are too. Jesus, I thank you for your word. Lord, we don't want to waste this last moment. In verse 7, we see like Paul almost assuming that Timothy wouldn't understand these metaphors or it wouldn't connect right away. And he's like, think it over. Think of how this applies to you. God will reveal it to you. Lord, I ask that we don't waste this moment. Lord, I ask that we don't allow what we heard in your word just to pass, but that we think it over and how it applies to my life, for you will reveal it. Thank you for the grace, and thank you for that exhortation. Thank you for shaking us up out of apathy. Thank you for giving us purpose to remind ourselves that we are entrusted with the most precious thing in the world, the good news of Jesus. 
and that we have a role to be salt and light. We are to be conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. So Lord, I ask that you would have your way in our hearts. Stir the grace and penetrate the truth. In Jesus' name.